technology is so powerful and has done so much to transform our world, but have we become any happier? Consciousness hacking to me is all about creating tools and technologies that help humanity evolve. An exploration of how technology can be in service of spiritual development and humanity. Scientific, burner, psychedelic, experimental, open, and curious community. A bunch of curious individuals who are open to exploring their minds and exploring how they can build technology that supports growth. Boom, what's up everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakian. Very excited to be talking about consciousness hacking and so much more. We have Joshua Fields joining us on the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. Good to see you, man. Very, very excited for this. We just finished up doing a bunch of partnership interviews with the Awaken Future Summit, which those are slowly trickling in. Trickling out. Online, yeah. Really excited to be releasing those. That was such a good summit. Those that don't know, Josh Fields is the Executive Director of Consciousness Hacking, which is a global community working on cutting-edge tools for transforming human consciousness. You can find the links in the bio below to cohack.life as well as neonosis.com and the Facebook and YouTube pages for Consciousness Hacking. Joshua, let's start things off with one of our favorite questions to ask our guests. What are your thoughts on the direction of our world? Oof, big, big start, man. Oh, so we live in, a, in an age of paradox. I don't know if you saw Jamie Wheels talk at the Awaken Future Summit, but he basically says there's three things going on. We have this exponential curve of progress going up an exponential curve of collapse going down. And so basically things have never been better, they've never been worse, and if you kind of like take on the transcendent Buddhist, everything is perfect the way it is, that is also true. So um, I've actually grappled with this quite a lot, like where are we going? And like is this technological revolution actually aiding us? And I think the answer is yes. And yet, so we've, we've almost eradicated poverty, life expectancies doubled over the last hundred or so years, and yet, simultaneously, existential risks have never been greater. We are depleting the very ecosystem by which we can actually make this progress. And um, I've been torn, man. I finished a master's at CIS, and I did my dissertation thesis on civilization collapse and collapse dynamics. And it's a real tough one to tussle with because we have this exponential complexity curve. And in the past, the more and more, I mean, if civilization collapse literature is anything to go by, the more complex a society tends to become, the, the higher the likelihood it is to actually systemic failures. Mm. So we have beautiful progress, exponential complexity, existential risks, and really which way it goes is where it remains to be seen. What are the things that we need to embody the most to make sure that it goes on the positive trajectory? So I think the issue is this, if we're going to use this exponential complexity curve as an example, so there was an American anthropologist, Joseph Tainter, I don't know if you've read his work, The Collapse of Complex Societies, and basically it says as societies become more and more complex, they add layers and layers of bureaucracy mm. in order to make better sense of their problems. Now, what we have now is this 
technological complexity going through the roof, we have ecological complexity, we have socioeconomic complexity, and yet our capacity to actually handle said complexity, call that cognition, call it wisdom, call it consciousness, is actually on more of a flat gradient. And my sense is that the more and more these curves decouple, the higher the likelihood that we're going to actually end up collapsing. And so, for me, the most important thing to actually try to do in order to transcend these risks is to somehow collapse the curve. It, sorry, to, uh, to, to hack the curve. The curve. Okay. Because we ain't going to stop the complexity curve. Yes. But we can actually hack the consciousness curve. And that's essentially the essence of my work. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so the idea is that if we can get our own wisdom, the wisdom race, if we can get the wisdom to align as quickly as possible with the exponential increases in technology and complexity that are happening, we have a greater chance of not collapsing the civilization. That's my sense. That's my sense. And there are so many other like potential collapse factors, but really complexity is a huge one. And but the other distinction that I make though is, is, is like that Tainter didn't actually speak to is this difference between complication and complexity. You've heard Nassim Taleb. And mm -hmm. What we have now is a, is a globalized economic system okay, that is actually highly complicated as well as complex. Well, the economic side is highly complicated. Okay? And a complicated system is highly fragile. And you see that in 2008, right? One domino in the banking system fails and there's a contagion effect in the whole system. It's fragile. A truly complex system is actually anti-fragile. There's an acute stressor to the system, and that system actually ends up enhancing and amplifying its fortitude yes. through said stressor. So I think Tainter could have reframed complexity as complication. So we have a highly, highly complicated system and highly, highly complex technology and ecology to add to that system. So we have to hack this consciousness in order to make, make better sense of that. And there are various other risk factors involved. And one that I, I, I like to talk about a lot is, is information. People haven't quite uh, understood the, the severity of what it means to scale ma misinformation and disinformation. Mm -hmm. That fake news is actually an existential problem. Mm -hmm. Because as sense-making organisms, think about it just in biological terms, if you can't actually trust the information that's coming into your environment, you're an organism destined for failure. Mm -hmm. And I, I know in the UK there's some uh, stuff just now. In the, uh, the Times wrote an article about Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party, um, saying he has health problems like, and he's not fit to govern. And he's just come out and flatly said this is all utterly made up. And here I am sitting and reading these things and because of the amount of lies that's in the media, because of the corruption of information in our systems, mm -hmm. I can't actually trust the information that's coming in. Yeah. And so the very fact that we're getting more complex, more complicated, juxtaposed with an inability to make sense of that stuff, and then you throw in like our cognitive overloads where we can't actually make sense of anything because we're so overwhelmed, mm -hmm. this is a really, really problematic situation. And yet, uh, I'm hopeful that crisis precedes transformation. Mm. And they were actually on the precipice of some sort of, Daniel, Sch Daniel Schmachtenberger says, phase shift. My old professor Brian Swim says, uh, the gr a great leap of being, mm -hmm. akin to that of atom to molecule, single cell to multicell organism. Mm -hmm. The problem is, we don't know which way that's going to go. We could collapse up, or we could collapse down. And I think a lot is going to de be determined in how we actually use wisdom in order to navigate through some of these issues. Wow. 
Yeah, that was a very good synthesis. Oh, wow. Okay, let me say one more piece yes. to that. Um, this is where wisdom comes in. So the biological lens on like information systems collapsing, it makes a lot of sense from a rational perspective, right? If you can't trust the information that's circulating in a system, there's a reduction in information coherency, this is problematic for sense making. Yeah. From a mer and I think this is, a, again, if we, if we bring wisdom into this, what have the sages been trying to say? What are some of the virtues of the sages? One of the virtues is truth. And there's an, uh, there was an, uh, a British historian called Sir John Glubb who showed that each civilization, he studied about 20 civilizations and showed that each civilization goes through seven stages. There's the age of triumph, where honor, where honor, integrity and truth are really important values. The gladiators come in, they take over the city and it ends in the age of decadence. This was written in 1972. And he said, in the age of decadence, there's a loss of truth from public discourse Narcissism and materialism take on the values, value structures du jour, and celebrities gain the positions of power. Does this sound familiar? I think we have to, the, embedding wisdom is actually an existential necessity. If civilization collapses, history is anything to go by, we have to actually start reintroducing some of these values that made us effective civilizations in the first place. And I think a lot of it is to do with how truth translates into information coherency. Mm -hmm. um, That's so the central pillar, is being able to disseminate truth to each other for overall inclusive global fitness. Yeah. How do you make sense of problems if you know that in game theory terms, all the other, you, don't, you can't trust information from all the other players in the game? Yeah. Yeah. So. That, that, yeah, information coherency is one of the, the, the most important yeah, pillars that needs to be corrected. Mm -hmm. So how do we incentivize people to speak in truth instead of uh, in manipulation and misinformation to, to try and like self-deal? My uh, sense is a lot of this comes down to the meta-narratives of the day, right? We've internalized social Darwinism. We assume us to be competitive, um, bloodthirsty organisms all out to win, all out to win each other over, right? So we've got these like win-lose dynamics embedded in our capitalist system. We assume the worst. We assume people are going to deceive. And my, th my sense is that is uh, to a large extent true, that we have to actually guard against the fact that there is always going to be an incentive to cheat with regards to truth. So for example, if nine countries get rid of nuclear bombs and North Korea says, hey, I'm getting rid of mine too, and they cheat, then you know they win, in game theory terms, they, they end up winning, they consolidate the power. Uh, changing the story of who and what we are, coupled with incentive systems to actually uh, disincentivize deceit and incentivize more clear information dis dissemination yeah. is really the juxtaposition that's needed. And I think from a meta-narrative, yes, we're competitive and selfish beings, and, but evolution in biology shows that we're also highly, highly collaborative. There's yeah. books, but book by a lady called Sarah Coakley, who's a professor at Cambridge, and speaks that cooperation actually goes down to like singular cell organisms, that single cell organisms will actually commit suicide in order for the greater evolution of the whole. Mm. The altruism's embedded at the bottom. Yeah. 
So let's not be naive to think this can just be done, but we need to upgrade our stories to act and systems to incentivize this type of this and reflect this type of behavior. Yeah. yeah. So we okay. So we need a the grand meta narrative that gets us to better understand our origins and who we <coughs> are, and then we need the right information coherency systems um, that help us uh, uh, put together the right incentives for uh, for truth and for collaboration, as well as continue some competition along the way in idea creation and stuff, um, raising the baseline of living, the degrees of freedom for everyone. Sure. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, and the wisdom race to be able to handle the increases in consciousness at the same time as where um, the exponential technologies and geopolitics are getting more and more complex, can the wisdom catch up? Yeah. And things like consciousness hacking help us with the wisdom catching up. So, okay, let's, let's do some of, the, some of the journey. So you're born in Scotland, and then you raise there until you're about 18. What was that like? Scotland's a special wee country. Uh, five million people with a very real down-to-earth ethic. Um, it's still kind of in a, a bit of a post-industrial cultural age. And I think uh, part of my desire to get away from Scotland was that can actually be quite uh, binding. That any attempts to think outside the box are you know, often through, through, through fun, but, but often ridiculed. It's like, don't outshine. Like, just, you know, don't, don't, don't think too outside the box. So there's a real culture there. And that culture is also very beautiful. You come out to San Francisco and everyone's a visionary and everyone's thinking outside the box. And sometimes you're like, well, where's the grounding? Mm. It's a very grounded place. Mm. And uh, I love it, man. And, and I think ultimately I'll end up back there in the future. But for now, I need to come and drink from the reservoirs of the, of the West Coast <laughs> and take some of that stuff back with me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's good. Okay, and then um, <clears throat> to went to Oxford for economics and then in, did investment banking in London. What were those years like? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, more the university part than the banking part. Uh, yeah, no, I had a great education experience. Um, I think what has been interesting is having removed myself from a, a very, uh, or having graduated from a very credible institution uh, and then gone in this contemplative journey, seeing the, the, some of the failures and the, the, the fragile spots of something that's credible and, you know, has like an academic, academic stamp of approval. So, um, I, and in terms of banking, some of something similar, I used to, to use the, the, the term a conceptual Ponzi scheme. So like in an investment bank, everybody thinks the person knows, know, above them knows what's going on in the hierarchy until you get to the very top and then the head thinks the person below him or her knows what's going on in the hierarchy. In the, in the hierarchy. So there's this circle of actually knowing nothing. And uh, I think that seems to be, there's a lot of uh, bravado, there's a lot of ego, and there's not a lot of, uh, I think, deep systemic thinking at some of these institutions, which I think is what's trying to emerge from a lot of these public intellectuals that you've been interviewing, for example. Yeah, but overall, Oxford, incredible. Banking, beautiful friends. Not quite for me. Yeah, he, I think you nailed something there, which is so cool that when you have these um, these organisms like investment banking that may not have uh, calibrated their wisdom to be to catch up to the craziness of the 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 entropic systems that are existing in our civilization right now, that 
if you can do things like potentially help uh, with conscious hacking things or increasing the amount of uh, information coherency from public intellectuals into their spheres, that sure. type of thing, yeah. that can be a massive change for the direction of like investment banking. We may not have um, financial crises these types of things i think these are crucial or like 10 percent of every single uh, venture capital fund could go to the department of nature maintenance right you know, something like that those are really interesting things that need to be discussed more and more enlightened about um, when we get our intertwined aspects that we have with the ecosystems that sustain us mm. then we say well maybe part of our fund should go towards that because we want to make sure our children right. have a planet type thing right. Then what about, what was the, the thing that got you to go, all right, off to the West Coast of the mm. United States? So I, I definitely had a bit of a quarter life crisis of having extremely peak non-dual experiences through meditation, through lucid dreaming, and feeling this deep, deep sense of healing as I started engaging in these practices and seeing that in banking, like I had everything, I had a good degree, I had, you know, the money, the, the status, and yet I was still like deeply um, insecure, anxious. And I saw myself claiming this hierarchy and I realized that it was never gonna be enough. That I just knew that in 10 years time, there's always gonna be that one more piece to climb before I'm gonna be happy. And then there I go on a meditation retreat on Vipassana for 10 days. Yes. And I am so fucking full. Yeah. I don't need anything else. Yeah, yeah. I'm healing. My emotional intelligence is deepening. My self-awareness is increasing. I love it. So it got me thinking, like, well, how do, I, how do I give people access to these states, this healing, these, these ways of being? Because going in a 10-day Vipassana retreat, man, it's, it's a privilege. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you've got two kids and working three jobs, I mean, there's a, oftentimes I hear some anger when people are like, what, the f what do you mean meditation retreat? And I think it's, it's justified anger. It's a real sense of privilege that we can just step back. But it shouldn't, the social fabric shouldn't be structured that way where it's so difficult right. to go 10 days to a retreat. Yeah. Right, it's, it's so difficult. Um, yeah, we're, we're slaves to the system. And yet, given those parameters, the work that I when came over to San Francisco thinking about was how do we scale, personalize, and make universally accessible these states yes. of awakening and healing. Yes. And that's basically the essence of what I've been working on for the last couple of years. Okay, so scaling states of increasing our wisdom, increasing our healing, and hacking into our consciousness. What are, let's start maybe breaking down some of the ways to do this on a you know, on a systemic meta perspective, give us some of the ideas of how we do this. You listed Vipassana meditation as one of the ways. Mm -hmm. There are so many other ways to hack it. <laughs> yeah. So traditionally, consciousness hacking as an organization has been focused on modern technology. And so, for example, one modern technology that could help hack consciousness is the Muse headband, which mm -hmm. is a biofeedback device that gives you audio feedback to show you when your actual brain waves are in meditative states. And so you're, it's acting as a support system to guide you more quickly into deeper levels of awareness. And the tech is at a very, very early stage. So you even have something like Headspace, you know, an app on your phone, Sam Harris is waking up. Mm -hmm. Then the, the next layers of this are things like ultrasonic neuromodulation. I know you've had Jay Sanguinetti mm -hmm. on. 
uh, ultrasound to certain parts of the brain which we think might be associated with self-ruminative thinking. But I think, again, I, I'm, I'm maybe overdoing the curves today, but consciousness hacking in the trans tech space started maybe five years ago. We're still here on the exponential curve. We've not even hit the yeah, knee yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the tech side. Then there's obviously the psychedelic side. Mm. There's the breath work side. Mm. Um, but really what we're focusing on is the cutting edge ways of transforming consciousness. Um, mm. Not so much the things that have been around for thousands of years, but really how do we, here, here's a better, better way of putting it, is how good can we get at transforming human consciousness, mm. Mm -hmm. given all the tools that we have at our disposal? Yeah. Our conference, Awaken Futures, was about this, right? It's like, mm -hmm. how do we bring together the psychedelic community, the meditation community, the tech community, the most potent, potent transformative communities, and see what emerges from those synergies? Mm -hmm. And you were there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was definitely one of my favorite conferences ever. Yeah. I loved it. Good. I loved it. And, okay, let's, let's, let's take these, um, let's, go, let's, let's even take ourselves back. So there's a good <coughs> amount of indigenous elders that are telling us that, okay, we can become awakened in a natural spiritual way. Uh -huh. And that has been happening for millennia where we've been doing things like understanding that we all come from this great mother, this great God, this great all that is, and we all come from that. And that paying our respect to to the star, to the planet, to the ecosystems that we live on, the air, the water, the food, is one of the ways to become really spiritual moment to moment, naturally. Mm. And then we have, now, we have had a pretty explosive entrance of the neurotechnologies that you were listing, these closed loop feedback systems with biosignal processing to show when I'm actually in my meditative states versus not, psychedelic renaissance, so there's a lot of new ways now that are that maybe indigenous leaders wouldn't call necessarily natural spiritual uh, connection, but they're we're augmenting our spiritual connection. So where do you see the augmentations of neurotech and psychedelics? How do they play with what the indigenous elders are saying is a natural spiritual yeah. connection? So there's there's a couple of ways I'd answer this. The first is there seems to be a, a continuum of uh, what you might call a spiritual authenticity, whereby the meditation purists are at the very start and they're saying, if it's not just using your breath, you're cheating. Yeah, yeah. You're using something outside of yourself. Meditation purists? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And then you move over to the psychedelic purist. Okay, and the meditation purist is looking at the psychedelic purist and saying, you guys are cheating. <laughs> and then the psychedelic purist then looks to the technology augmented awakening field and says, you guys are cheating. <laughs> and so there's this shit, there's this continuum of what people see as um, what is natural, what is uh, authentic spiritual awakening. And I think quite simply, this uh, bifurcation between what we think to be us and what we think to be the other is actually inherently part of the problem. So for example, nature and culture has there been a more disastrous bifurcation in concept? Mm. Oh yeah, that's a good one. The bifurcation of technology, of artificial and natural, mm. of technology and spirituality, I would suggest is actually just as harmful, if not more harmful, for, and, and just not true, yeah. for our worldview than nature and culture. And so I think what has been happening is that 
technology has been designed away from the natural rhythms of life. Yeah, yes, yes. It's linear, it's not circular, it's not sustainable. It's use it, abuse it, throw it away. It's consumerism. Unless we embed technology in a more intelligent way of evolution, we're screwed. But that is not to say that we can't. That, that, that is actually to say that technology is an expression of us. In the same way a rock is an expression of nature, technology is an expression of, of us. What feels off, I feel, is that we're designing it in a way that is out of alignment. Yeah. yeah. Artificial and natural, false dichotomy, if artificial starts to be designed in line with the natural. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, how does technology, how does what is this, as like uh, Kogi elders called this younger brother that is doing all of this creative engineering and tinkering and, and building, how does that essence, how do they gain this older brother wisdom of connecting on a natural level to the ecosystems that sustain us and embed that in the technology mm. to make it actually spiritual. So then there's not that, um, that false bifurcation that yeah. we're speaking about, yeah. So if you think of technology as a black box, what is important for our evolution, in my sense, is the input and the output of that black box. The input is, from what level of consciousness are we building from? We are going to encode all of our biases, all of our shit, all of our uh, both individual and cultural biases, all of our blind mimetic dispositions into the code of technology itself. And so level one is you transform the consciousness of the individuals. You transform the consciousness of the organizations. And you make sure that the output from that black box is in service of well-being, flourishing, and basically in greater service of life, capital L. Okay. It's not technology that's ethical. Tristan Harris is a, you know, ethical tech, extremely important movement. Yes. But technology at the moment for human well-being is like minus 10 on a scale of minus 10 to plus 10. It's harming us internally. Neutral tech is gonna take it to zero. What we're saying is we actually have to build tools that because technology is ubiquitous, it's universally disseminated, it actually has to synergize and better our senses of well-being. Take it to plus 10. Yeah, that's super ideal. I like that, I like that um, the, the spectrum. Maybe it's not all the way at negative 10. Maybe it's at like negative 8. Right. Nine, uh, negative yeah. 10 is like, like oh, 10 yeah. electric yeah, shocks yeah, yeah, everywhere yeah. in the world. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or maybe so minus 5. 5, let's say. You okay. get what I mean. Yeah. Okay. So then let's say that. <clears throat> Let's say that it's at minus five and we're trying to move it to neutral tech and then even towards positive tech. Yeah, I think a really good example is, I think a lot of people have this example where they're, they're trying to go somewhere like sporadically. They're like, oh, I'm trying to go from San Francisco to Los Angeles in maybe a day, you know, or like the, the day before is when you plan on it. If tech was really, really good, if we were really good with technology, it would be as simple as my intention would go in, into the input and then it would be a big ping out to people that are already transiting down there that I know or that know me or that are a second connection. And then just for people to simply say, I accept this person's profile. And, and then just like that, the connection happens. But we are, we're still distant away from these, these were by several leaps. 
Also, let's uh, let's talk about the people that are making the technology that are inputting into the black box. Because mm -hmm. we talked about you know meditation, neurotechnology, biotechnology, psychedelics. Um, what are the ways to help the engineers, the designers? Do we need ethicists and philosophers there with them, moral uh, scientists there with them as they? create the technologies? Do they need to go through experiences that transcend their own egos before they embark on building these technologies with teams? What do we do there? I mean, take the ancient wisdom piece. Would an ancient or indigenous tribe allow a three-year-old to carry the most potentially uh, violent or, or powerful tool of the tribe? Probably not. Mm -hmm. If we get exponentially more powerful and we don't mature and the people who are building these tools aren't growing at the same rate as this exponential potency, that's a problem. So this is, this is an imperative that people's consciousnesses actually catch up with the level of a power that is actually becoming decentralized. This is going to be universally accessible power potentially one day. Synthetic biology, for example. Um, a lot of that is, and, and so sorry to your question about philosophers, why, why for me philosophy is such a, an underrated endeavor is that we are actually all encoded with these biases that we have no idea exist. So there's a book by Richard Tarnas, The Passion of the Western Mind. And it's like, we assume that we think in a certain way and we see the world in a certain way because that's the way the world is, right? And you can go all the way back to Kant to show that that's just not the case. You know, we see the world through our neurological, cultural and biological filters. Mm -hmm. On a cultural perspective, the West has celebrated rationality, logic, abstraction, everything, basically everything from here up. Mm. And in doing so, what are we actually missing in terms of making sense of reality? Mm. And how are we actually encoding these into our machines? And so having a philosopher or someone, our psychologist, as part of this design process, I think is absolutely fundamental, man. Agreed. Um, and mainly to say, hey, what are the biases? Mm -hmm. What are our cultural biases? We are, and we have, <laughs> I have my own in speaking this stuff, right? We have plenty of them. That's a good way to view it is that when the engineers and designers are, you talked about the, 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 the loop where it's almost as though it's a, it's a progression that's linear instead of circular where it's like I just use, abuse, and dispose of things. Well, then the philosophers, they're next to them and they say like, hey, where do you think the tech device is going right. after you finish using it? Uh -huh. And then they're like, I don't know, where does it go? Yeah. Well, how do you think we can optimize the, the process of passing this down to other people on the planet to use or how do we make it so that the the that there's a zero waste or a complete circular process with these technologies so I, I love that component to it I also want to address how you I you know you're you're super on point it is the as the technologies become democratized um, to have uh, what is like three-year-olds or five-year-old wisdom running around with uh, technologies that have the potential to cause catastrophic damage—that's um, a—that's a—that's a preventable thing, and we have to see it as a yeah. preventable thing. Yeah, yeah. I think this is the piece of existential risk that, that not enough people are talking about. It's that things like nukes and negative AI and negative synthetic biology as existential risk factors are contingent upon us monkeys 
behaving and acting in certain ways. Right? For me, the, the source of everything is the human mind. Are we in fear? Or are we in love? Mm -hmm. Are we in uh, yeah, a, tr a trauma response? Or are we healed? Mm -hmm. And that, is gonna, that, is, that itself is going to feed yes. and inform what is going to happen with all these risks in the future. I love that. So then guiding more people towards um, love and towards healing and towards, especially maybe in the West, maybe towards more towards the heart and towards in the body and yeah. towards spiritual awakening. Um, but, but, yeah. but, but from a way that isn't hippy-dippy. Yes. So the, the yes. one thing that I've really, like, my trigger to use a San Francisco term about yeah. San Francisco is it's, it's this, there's a lot of this, it's spiritual ascension, it's not grounded in the practicalities of the day. And so when I speak of love, like, let's think of love like really rationally. Yes, let's do it. Right? Let's, okay. like, and, and not that love is necessarily rational, but like in order to communicate this, you know, in the language of the day of secular science, okay. love, is, love is the cosmological process of allurement. When, an, when hydrogen and oxygen meet, that is nothing but love. It's the coming together. It's the knowledge that if we want to evolve effectively, Synergy and symbiosis can allow us to do that. Mm -hmm. So differently, if we don't love in the, in the presence of exponential tech, all it takes, is, and it's decentralized, all it takes is one bad actor for the whole thing to go kaput. So love, grounded love. Uh, and, and the other things are in trauma. Yeah, like healing people of trauma. I think a lot of people's uh, guards in life are a function of them being, having been hurt and so saying the world isn't a safe place. And I think people maybe think, and I'm making these numbers up, but maybe they think that 60% of the world is good, 35% of the world is, uh, sorry, and 40% of the world is bad. Whereas what I think is that 70% of the world is good, 25% of the world are highly traumatized and therefore act in bad ways, and 5% of the world are sociopathic, uh, narcissistic, parasites. And that's a different matter altogether, but most bad actors are behaving from trauma, mm. is my sense. Mm. Mm -hmm. to, and so to heal that is to heal a vast majority of the oops moments that could potentially happen. And the, the other, uh, in, in this case, in your example, the other 5% are something that needs to be handled in a potentially different I way. Yeah. I don't know. And yeah. I mean, we could go down that path and there's lots, yeah. of, lots of ways. How, how, what are the the optimal ways to heal for both trauma as well as for even the ones that are you know b benevolent actors in the world it still creeps up yeah 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 for self-dealing behaviors these types of things so is it just a deeper connection to our own spiritual unity with god is that is that is that can that solve um, the way that we behave and we, do, we also need updates in the social fabric away from the tendencies towards self-dealing and stuff. Individual transformation is necessary but insufficient. It's mm -hmm. individual, systemic and narrative, all simultaneous, completely. Mm -hmm. The individual, and this is where like personal responsibility comes in, it's the thing that we have control over. We have agency over our own lives. We're not victims just to the system. The system is playing a part, but we also have agency. Mm. Um, I think, so for example, some of the psychedelic studies coming out of Johns Hopkins is that the depth of mysticism encountered in a psilocybin experience is a strong, has a strong correlation with how much feeling, how much healing 
that person then undergoes over the next six months. Mm. So there's a positive correlation between non-duality or mysticism, a single experience, mm -hmm. and healing. So yes, and uh, there are other ways to heal. You know, there's basically the, the, the pathology of the Western medicine system is that we're seeing all these things as, 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 as depression and anxiety as yeah. problems. Yeah. They're, 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 they're often not. They're, these are deep, intelligent signals for the body to say, look, look at me. And we don't, partly systemically, because we can't afford to. So feeling, feeling is healing. Um, and uh, 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 vagus nerve stuff, right? Yeah. We're all, our vagus nerves are all like in super fight, flight responses, healing the vagus nerve. Mm. Many, many ways of doing this. I think, again, the, the, the biases of Western, the Western mind is that to make it all about talk therapy. Tell me, like, why? Tell me about your daddy issues and stuff. Uh, again, necessary, insufficient. Body. We're in bodies. And a lot of trauma is stored because we are somatic beings. Yeah. And the trauma is, it's, yeah. it's very primal, very mammalian. Um, and I think we need to look there first. And again, this is some of the biases that tech move away from. It's the transhumanist Ray Kurzweil download. And it's like, the consciousness isn't just the brain. Like the gut, mm. the heart, mm. there's all this intelligence. Um, yeah. Well then, so then we, do we, so first of all, then it's not even localized to the central nervous system. So then it's also localized to the heart and mm. to the gut. So uh, then, yeah, so then there's that complication, first of all. Uh -huh. Or maybe not even localized to the body. To the body in the first place. Yeah, yeah. and then that goes into different philosophical yes. realms. Damn. So then you have to, yeah. <laughs> so then you need to figure out how to upload the trillions of cells of the body plus how that makes a collective intelligence. Right. To, and good, good luck, I guess. I just think it's naive to just think we're going to understand the brain and it's going to be uploadable. Just the brain is yeah. going to be just like that. That said, I'm not a reductive materialist and I think probably we can upload to some degree. Sure, sure. Um, but to think it's just going to be as simple as the brain is, I think, uh, the, the blind spot of scientific materialism. And then let's say, um, and b I guess before we venture a little bit deeper into, into that, I just want to ask you about this. Where do you think that certain um, philosophies and uh, wisdoms from where you gave this example of a lot of Westas, head, head up, cerebral, and then we have a bunch of like ancient wisdom and philosophies from the other parts of the planet mm. that's like pretty much just not uh, the United States, <laughs> um, where uh, people have had a deeper non-dual um, experiences. Yes. So, yeah, so how does that, how does that marriage optimally happen? And, and also, just to be clear, there are places uh, in the world like um, the, tech, the massive technology giants in China that are also doing very, <laughs> in the sense, cerebral sure. technology building. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so part of Western biases is myop myopia, which embeds itself in all our institutions. So how can we actually plan for climate change if political terms are four and five years, right? China doesn't have the same problem. Or the seventh generation principle of indigenous the tribes. Seventh generation principle. Not the same problem. It's gorgeous. There's, there's a short termism that is catastrophic when we're trying to solve existential long-term risks. Um, 
I think AI could play a, part of, a big part of this, centralizing knowledge systems. If AI evolves to incorporate not just the abstract, um, and this is the, again the other thing. Have you seen those some of those uh, studies? I don't even know if they're studies, but when you ask a Japanese person to look at a painting, mm. and they describe the environment, and then and then they describe the animal in the painting second, whereas the the, the Western oh, wow. mind goes straight to the animal yeah. and completely forgets about the environment. Wow. The, we have to understand that the way we actually perceive phenomenologically is contingent upon our stories and our cultural biases. Um, so how do we bridge these things? Uh, again, bringing this knowledge, bringing, having, having an elders board at Facebook. Mm, I like that. Like the elders board, having the elders board, man, like and like yeah. having, you know, can you imagine? But that cuts into bottom line profits. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We don't want, <laughs> we don't want to hear this shit. Yeah. See, that's that's yeah. that's where that's a really good example. Yes, something, yeah. you know, there's and shamanism, bringing bringing these plants to the west. It's already happening. Um. Whoa. So I many like ways. That. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> the elders boards. At Google, Facebook, yeah. Amazon, Apple, at Tencent, Baidu, Alibaba, yeah, yeah, and yeah, let's do it. I love, it. yeah, I love it. The elders' boards. That's another one of those principles. If you can get ten percent of venture capital money to go to the Department of Nature Maintenance and every single one of the massive um, corporations on the planet to have an elders' board that thinks seven generations out, and then they slowly, you know. That's a good, st also just getting people that are in the leadership positions to think seven generations out themselves and become spiritually, naturally actualized well, themselves. Again, though, this yeah. goes, if you, have, if you have political systems that are four or five year terms, like I said, and you have egoic consciousness participating in those systems, which by the way, you're most likely going to get because it's gonna self, it's gonna filter out by necessity, those who are less able to play win-lose dominance hierarchy games, right? So we have to, so, so you have egoic consciousness, short termism, it's very, very hard to solve for this. Yes, Again, yes. it's the individual, it's the systemic, and it's the narrative transformation. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And to plug in the, <coughs> the so, so, so we, ta we take our own, uh, in our own reins of our own life trajectory and experience and move it more in the direction of spiritual understanding and awakening. And then we also simultaneously realize that I have to start working with friends, family, people around me to help them with that process individually and also to help build that collective fabric and narrative for the children as well that we're going in that direction now. Yeah. So then that's kind of like this process of, okay, so get transforming as soon as possible. <laughs> it's like the, it's like the, yeah. yeah. And, and transforming doesn't necessarily just mean like, let's use these tools and enlightenment button and everyone's Enlightenment good. button. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, like maybe yeah. the best tool for you would be a three-year would be a three-year process. Yeah. Can our tech and our science actually understand best what our neurology, biology, psychology needs in order to optimize our spiritual growth pattern? We're a long way off, but that's how I see this. It's not just a whoop yeah. and walk. And again, like if Ken Wilber, like states versus stages, states versus stages. I'm using the hands a lot today. You like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like that kung fu. Yeah. Uh, 
just if you're giving people non-dual states means nothing for what you're actually doing to their stage of consciousness. 70% mm. of the world are in ego and ethnocentric stages of consciousness. Damn. It's about me and my tribe, me yeah. and my religion. If you're non-dual and egocentric, that's when you get yourself a, uh, a, a guru who becomes a rapist. And you see, it's, it's yeah. both. It's stage, how do you increase your capacity for empathy with others, yes. better handle complexity, world-centric perspectives. <clears throat> yeah. Waking up ain't enough. If it took us, you know, sometimes it takes us years and if not even a decade or more to be able to get some of the fundamental things that help us engage in the world like a language. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, the spiritual awakening button is what, like, we, this is not an instant gratification process. Neither is achieving your North Star purpose in this world. If you're along the ride of life for the trophy in the end, you're going to miss the whole point of it. Yeah. Which is to love every single moment leading towards the North Star mm -hmm. mission. And that same process is part of spiritual enlightenment too, is that we are in love with that moment to moment. There's not an instant gratification, achieve my trophy button. This is a very long-term play. But can we also um, help provide the tools to win the wisdom race? Yes. I love that wisdom race. Yeah. That's exactly what this is. Yeah. Yeah, Tagmark was uh -huh. um, instrumental in delivering that with his Future of Life Institute, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that also Consciousness Hacking is really passionate about ancient wisdom. I think that's, that's so, so critical. Yeah. yeah, it can, the elders board, there were so many good examples of this conversation. Um, let's, um, let's visit the, um, we're talking about consciousness as potential localization or non-localization, the complexity of it. Do we come from somewhere else into these earth suits? I love how you ask that as if I can give a definitive answer. Let me just tune in. Oh, you just. <laughs> My experience through contemplative practice is that there is a field of awareness that is more fundamental to us than our narrative self. That consciousness is primary, not an emergent phenomenon, not an epiphenomenal phenomenon, but is actually a substructure for reality itself. Now, that could be idealism, everything is mind, and we are in consciousness. Mm -hmm. It could be panpsychism, consciousness is a, a component of matter. That's a cool view, and, and it basically means you can create conscious AI because all you need to do is reconfigure the constituent parts in such a way that, um, and in even idealism, you could create AI that acts as a signal. You know, if it, we're just we're just reflecting and inflecting consciousness as, as primary substrate. So my experience is we are, and uh, yeah, my experience is that we are fundamentally awareness. And I never believed that, because I've been saying that in all the non-dual Advaita Vedanta books that I'm sure you've read and I've read, and uh, that's all just an idea until you have that experience, and contemplative practice yeah. can take you to that experience. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, if, anyone, if you have anyone on the show that says they know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
some some people, um, especially the yeah. um, the ancestral wisdoms, sure. um, yeah, are pretty clear about what's been passed down to them. Right. That we all break apart from God mm. uh, to come through these uh, these bodies and to have an experience of remembering that we come from God and that uh, of achieving our our purpose. Um, it's remembering. Yeah, remember. you been to Burning Man? Not yet. Ron and I, are, we're trying to go soon. You yeah. guys got to go. It's yeah. a remembering. Like, I think this is consciousness in form, having an adventure. And that's also why these, like, climate crisis catastrophes, existential risk, like, to some degree, and I don't want to be too esoteric or metaphysical here, like, consciousness wants to experience hmm. the adventure. Yes. Like, we, consciousness yeah. wants its own hero's journey. <laughs> and the more crisis, the more potential for growth, the more potential for adventure. That's why, potentially, there are the difficulties. If the... Basically, the idea is that if you were born into a reality where you instantly remembered that you came from God and that you instantly knew your life purpose and that you instantly got the life purpose and there was no evil to, to deal with, oh, it would yeah. be like the most boring thing. Evil, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that it's hard to remember that you come from God, it's hard to know what your North Star is, it's hard to go on the path of the North Star, it's hard because there's a bunch of evil shit and hard shit that comes in your way, challenges that you have to overcome. Right. That's what makes this whole process fun <laughs> of life. Think about this. How good do you feel after a good workout at the gym? Yeah. Like when you've really pushed yeah, yourself, man. so good. That's just a metaphor. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like the... The soul doesn't like comfort. The other problem with tech is convenience. We're so flipping comfortable. The soul doesn't like that. There's a, yeah, growth has to be met with resistance. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. Not easy growth, yeah. yeah. This is, I like the gym's a metaphor, yeah. yeah. Exercise is a metaphor, yeah. For life, yeah, yeah. yeah. And evil. And, yeah. Okay, so what are your thoughts about that? What, what, what are these... Is this a big playground battle between the, two the light and darkness? <laughs> that feels like a loaded question. It feels like you, you know you're just sitting there. And you're no, it's not, like, I, I just know heard the answers. No, no, no. I just, we just hear answers from people. So it's yeah, interesting I love that. hearing what you yeah. Well, so the, the, this duality of good and evil is a relatively like Judeo-Christian uh, uh, cosmology. In Buddhism, it's not so much. It's you, you see clearly or you're ignorant. And ignorance is the evil. And so this kind of goes back to my trauma point. I think there are evil people in the world. I think, I mean, I think sociopaths make up about 3% of the population. And I think the rest of people are actually quite um, uh, traumatized and maybe being used as a vessel for mm. evil. I don't know. Mm. Uh, again, contemplative practice, it laughs at the... Uh, suggestion that, that the light is necessarily better mm. and I mean if you go into things like archetypes there could be some sort of cosmic play I don't know I, mm. I don't know I, 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 I think it's naive to think that we can transcend evil mm. impermanently uh, indefinitely indefinitely yeah I think it's part of Leela the mm. play mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and it makes it fun yes, yes. Um, Without sounding too, uh, too basic about yeah. it, right? Like, because um, evil's not being, fun for a lot of people. Correct, but being also being too uh, uh, in adoration of it can cause the civilization to collapse because we were um, 
to not trying to get the wisdom meter up fast enough. So right, yeah, the kind yeah. of non-dual passivity. Well, it's all one, so it doesn't matter. And then there's a and then genocide going on over there. And I'm still in the non-dual state over here. It's fine. <laughs> For me, the better word is suffering. A lot of evil yeah. people are acting from places of suffering. When you clear the suffering, I think you clear a lot of the evil. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we have to have the systems in place that mean that if you are going to be evil, like you're massively disincentivized to do so. Um, it's extremely hard, if not even impossible, potentially to do so with the technologies that could wipe out the whole sieve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Make it potentially impossible. Maybe that is the yeah best way to do it. Maybe um, okay. Let's venture into two of the last questions. Are we in a simulation? Uh, Simulation is, is, for me, it's the same as the God question. Mm -hmm. mm. It's, mm. it's yeah. an inhibition of the infinite regression. Mm. It's like a base ontology, right? It's like, we can stop here so we don't have to explain anything else. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter for me. It doesn't matter if it's God, if it's simulation. And even if it is a simulation, then you still have to think, well, where does the simulation come from, etc. I don't know. I think the sim... I think how we're going to see the simulation is because if you look at the math and probability function, it makes a lot of sense, mm -hmm. right? What are the probabilities? I mean, if there's going to be infinite worlds, mm -hmm. it's huge. And I think my sense is part of what we're going to see is part of that is the, uh, the limitations of a mathematical mindset, of a ma mathematical mindset. Mm -hmm. The probability isn't the only thing that's going on here. But I can't give you a deeper answer than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Something else ethereal going on as well as mathematical. I mean, it's like just, I mean, even if it is, man, I mean, how bizarre. Like, mm. I'm a monkey, you're a monkey, monkey yeah, yeah. making mouth noises on this yeah. planet floating in space yeah. and we've got gravity in this infinite cosmos. Like, seriously, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. what the heck is going on here, man? I think this is the thing to wake people up. I think. People can wake up through awe, not awe from necessarily from, you know, peak transcendent experiences, but actually awe from like the very nature of reality itself. Exactly. If people could wake up to the fact that this is fucking bizarre. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, well, yeah. You, can you take that stream of consciousness and can you make that embedded <coughs> into every child's experience mm -hmm. um, and make sure every parent assists with their child to, to facilitate that and not get it out of there. Right, their well not necessarily embed it in the child's experience, but stop it from being lost stop from. Stop it being, from being lost from. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, and so for example. Make sure it gets Im embedded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. virtual reality can give the cat ions, do you know ions? Institute of Noetic Sciences, mm -hmm. they're working on the overview effect in VR. Yeah, that's a huge one, yeah. yeah. Um, so giving people w the. W yeah, Where, when did we lose sight of how magnificent it is to just be alive in the first place and be able to have a, um, a <clears throat> let alone a conversation that's being streamed to <laughs> the internet, <laughs> but just, uh, yeah, even just be, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I think, what the ancient wisdom's like. Hello, have you forgotten that? You are alive and that in itself is a miracle. Yeah, yeah. And you can talk and you can reflect on it and you're aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then how about what is the most beautiful thing in the world? 
I think that, mm. like the, the very fact that we, that we exist mm -hmm. is the most tragic, joyful, existential, and beautiful thing that we could even fathom. And like there is a despair in beauty too, right? You don't look at a sunset with pure joy. There's a kind of understanding of the impermanence. Yes. And that, that moves the heart, it moves the poets and the artists. Beauty yeah. is, is uh, multi-dimensional. <sighs> so good, yeah, yeah. Just, we just watched one yesterday and yeah, just that's spot on. It's like gorgeous and then also like it's set. Yeah, this is an impermanent life as well. And that um, get to the North Star, identify the North Star and achieve the North Star and win the wisdom race along the way. Win the wisdom race. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This has been such a good conversation. This was fun, man. Thank you. Joshua, I've had a blast. Thank you, man. Super Me too. enlightening. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's just um, get some, so much some of that wisdom out here. Yeah. 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 Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing all of this. Yeah. And let's get more let's get more of the the hacks of consciousness happening around the world so that we can win the wisdom race. Let's do it across all of the different ways to do it. Thanks everyone for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Let us know what you're thinking. Have more conversations with your friends, your families, people online, your coworkers about ways of hacking our consciousness, psychedelics, meditation, technology, neurotech, biotech, ancient wisdom. Go and apply these things into the world. Win the wisdom race together. Check out cohack.life, also neonosis.com, the Facebook, YouTube pages, check those out. Shout out to Ron Vargas for producing and directing. Thank you very much, Ronnie. And support the artists, the entrepreneurs, the organizations, the scientists around the world that you believe in the indigenous tribes. Support them. Help them pass along their wisdom into the world. Support Simulation. Our links are below to our PayPal, our Patreon, our cryptocurrency. Help support us. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you very much. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Peace.